Welcome to another episode of The Comical Heathen. I am your host, Dr. Jerry Jaffe, the world's most highly educated fan of comedian. Uh, I call this podcast One Man's Wild and Weird Journey into the World of Religious Satire. Started down this journey because I am currently writing a book. I've been researching satire for a number of years, and I'm working on a book on religious satire. And that led me to start this podcast as a way to conduct interviews and to share my ideas. So we have an interview. Today's interview subject is Curtis Cook. Uh, recently headlined the 2019 Cleveland Comedy Festival. I'll tell you more about Curtis in a minute. And we'll get into my talk with uh, Curtis soon. Um, if you've been listening to the show or if this is your first time listening to the show, I want to give you an update about upcoming live shows. So I've started doing a Comical Heathen live show. I've done it a couple times in Cleveland. So nice audiences, some great support from John Wellington and others at the Cleveland Comedy Festival. Thank you guys. Using a venue called Not Your Parents' Basement. Really fun, cool room. Maybe undergoing some changes in the new year. I'm not really on the inside there, but if you have a chance to see any shows there, you should definitely go. Our shows themselves have been pretty good. Get working up the material, working out the kinks, interacting with the audience. Love it all. And uh, my plan is to keep doing it in Cleveland, but to take it out on the road. I do have some uh, venues already booked for 2020. I'll be in Columbus at Mad Labs March 8th. I will be in Erie at the Movie House April 18th. And, you know, that's a few months from now, so you can expect more updates as well as updates on the website for this podcast and uh, social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, those sorts of things. So please come out and join me at one of the live shows. Listen to me rant about religion and pseudoscience and hypocrisy. And uh, the shows have a Q&A. So I love interacting with the audience. I love improv. Might be the college professor in me. And I'm looking for venues. I want to get this out there to different cities. I'm negotiating with some venues in different cities. Obviously, I won't say anything about any particular location until it gets firmed up. But watch for further announcements. And if you're one of the 18 people who listen to this podcast, send me an email. Let me know where you are. I'll try to come to you. Let's make this happen, people. This podcast has unofficial mascots in the form of the pollen lops that my wife and I keep. Calvin and Newton. We're a rabbit enthusiast. We love those little fuzzy bunnies. There's pictures of them also on my Facebook and social media streams. They are the mascots. And the mascots are incorporated into our new logo. Look for our new logo. It says the Comical Heathen, and it has the rabbits drawn into it. From my very talented young artist called Kaylee. We put the logo on a coffee mug. So I'll come out to a show, send me an email. I'll have the coffee mugs in my Etsy shop soon, too. All of my comedy merch is in an Etsy shop called Jerry Joffy Comedy. So get yourself a coffee mug, Comical Heathen. Uh, now, my wife and I are rabbit enthusiasts, and one of the uh, unusual side effects of keeping rabbits is that we line their cages with old newspapers. And that has caused me to go back to reading newspapers. I know, that's so 1998, right? Reading an actual paper, newspaper. Sometimes headlines pop out at me, and uh, I can't help myself. And as I record this intro, it's December 9th. So we're well into the holiday season, Halloween and Thanksgiving, American and Canadian are behind us, and a whole slew of holidays, including, of course, Christmas, 
Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, and some other holidays uh, are coming up. We're in the middle of the holiday season, and I saw some uh, headlines about the holidays. You know, I, I hate misinformation. That's why I pronounce it that way, uh, sin, because I think uh, misinformation is a sin. Whatever you believe, whatever you think, I want our debates to be rooted in fact. You know, I'm not just trying to ruin anybody's good time, but just because it's your dogma, hey, it's my karma. I saw another headline, this might be the millionth one in the past 10 years, on the so-called war on Christmas. Some conservative groups, like the uh, American Family Association, every year just make hay out of this uh, phony culture wars topic. It's pretty ridiculous. It actually goes back to the O'Reilly factor. Thank you, Fox, for giving us, you know, years of that uh, whining pissant. And one of his gifts to our culture is this phony war on Christmas. American Family Association uh, describes the way that um, secularists attack Christmas when there is no attack going on. My least favorite part of the holiday season is this so-called war on Christmas. Starbucks introduces its Merry Coffee campaign and some conservatives lose their shit. Zealots like the American Family Association fearmonger that secular forces have taken over the coffee industry. The American Family Association, makers of the finest in self-serving alarmism. Mm. They are a bunch of anal retentive scolds who make Ned Flanders look like Keith Richards. These people talk so much about putting the Christ back into Christmas that I'm surprised they haven't talked more about putting the Christ back into Easter, or Christer as I call it. These folks put the ugly and ugly Christmas sweater. I don't know, well, you know, maybe American Family Association declared war on Starbucks when they found out that coffee was actually invented by Muslims in the 1400s. So every time you say Merry Coffee, another terrorist gets his wings. Listen, Starbucks literally plays more Christmas music than the entire American Family Association combined. I think they know it's Christmas, Christian dudes. And by the way, this year, 2019, at Starbucks, that is their holiday campaign, Merry Coffee. Merry Coffee, this is why you don't put your seven-year-old in charge of your marketing campaign. Apparently, some devout Christian pranksters, by the way, it's a little funny thing I read about, have tried to get back at Starbucks for saying Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas, and by doing, trying to play this little joke on them. When they order their drink, they tell the barista, that their name is Mary Christmas. And you know, so their, their wacky plan is at the end, when they call out the person's name, they think it tricks them into yelling out, Merry Christmas. But I do not think they have thought this through. Like, I don't know about you, but my name is Jerry, and I'd say there's like an 85% chance that they're gonna call out the name Jeffrey when my drink is ready. Hell, right now, half of you think my name is Jeffrey. And they'll be trying to call out this person's name. Is there a Murray here? Murray, your drink is ready. Churchmers, Murray Churchmers, your drink is ready. So I think this can all backfire. They have not thought it through. That, that's what I'm saying. And you know, uh, historically, if there was a historic Jesus, we don't know his date of birth. 
like actually or literally his date of birth? I mean, let's think about this for a second. How long ago would the historical Jesus even have been born, right? 2,000 years, subtract the, died at 33, carry the cross. It was a long time ago, people. That's all we need to know. It was before birth certificates and Lamas classes. So what I'm saying is we do not know any Jesus' actual historic birthday. And there's always been midwinter holidays. Romans used to celebrate Saturnalia. I'm putting the Saturn back into Saturnalia. Who's with me? I'm going to put the myth back into Mithras. Come on, people. Can we at least put the Thor back into Thursday? Who's with me? I wanted to approach the question of Jesus' date of birth like a theologian. So I went back to the New Testament and the Gospels to find out what I could about, you know, what they say about Jesus' actual birth date. And I'm going to tell you exactly what it says in the Gospels. Fuck all. There is literally no details about his date of birth in the Bible. And I checked out both the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's the whole Bible, by the way. You know, they always cut the budget on the sequel. There is not a single reference anywhere in the Bible or the Gospels about a Douglas fir in the manger. No Christmas trees, no Christmas lights, no drinking eggnog out of the bathtub. None of those things are in the Bible anywhere. And if there had been a Douglas fir in the manger, then Mary would not have been a very responsible mother. Can't have a little tiny baby crawling around in all those pine needles. Oh, Jesus, get that tinsel out of your mouth. So, hey, crazy religious nuts, you know, stop listening to the American Family Association and all this O'Reilly Fox nonsense. There's no war on Christmas. Uh, we all know it's Christmas. It's supposed to be spirit of giving in Christmas. You know, if someone comes up to you uh, in December and says, Happy Holidays, and your response is, Fuck you! I think the problem might be with you. I, I think you need to uh, read your Beatitudes one more time. And, uh, you know, take a chill pill. That's all I'm asking. It's the holidays. Chill out. Take a chill pill. Or, if there's any Catholics in the room, a chill wafer. Whatever works for you. I just want everybody to calm down. Now, the war on Christmas, my least favorite part of the holidays, but I'm going to tell you my favorite part. My favorite part of the holidays is the music. Uh, call me an old softy, but I love holiday music. And my favorite holiday song, and I bet you know it, is a little ditty about premarital sex. You know the song I'm talking about? It's the song, man and a woman are so happy because they conspire by the fire. Which, if you didn't catch it, conspire is code for fucking. I mean, what did you think the song was about? Them going back to the cabin and planning a bank heist? No, he's roasting his chestnuts over her open fire, people. Now, I know that's a different song, but the metaphor is apt, so I went with it. And this couple that's about to conspire by the fire, they are not married, which I think is hot. We know they're not married because they build a snowman, and then they call that snowman Parson Brown. That is some pagan idolatry shit right there. Graven images. So, so far in this one Christmas song, we've got premarital sex, pagan idolatry, and then they say to the snowman, hey, we're not married, but you can do it when we're in town. 
And in the next part of the song, the snowman talks back. I mean, I don't know. How many drugs do you have to take before the snowman talks back to you? I mean, oh man, the snowman's talking to me. The snowman's talking to me. Can you see this? Oh, his face is melting. He's a snowman. All right, let's, let's carry on. I don't have time to explain all of these. So now we have drug-induced hallucinations, talking snowmen, pagan idolatry, and premarital sex. Winter wonderland indeed. The song explains that the couple is happy because of the new bird. Because, you know, the blue bird flew away. We all know that bird is slang for girl. Like, that's British slang. Bird is a girl, and the old bird that flew away was the blue bird, and blue means sad. The blue bird of sadness flew away. Blue also means blue balls, you see. The old bird didn't put out. That's the reason he was sad. But now, the new bird is conspiring by the fire. No wonder he's so happy. They're just raw-dogging it. I mean, they literally say in this song that they're happy because the lane is glistening. And that is clearly a reference to a moist vagina, right? The glistening lane is the moist vagina, right? Because that's how you know they're happy. I mean, every woman knows that a glistening vagina is a sign of happiness, but most guys don't know that. But women, they know. And what is my favorite part of the song? The best part is that right now, all over America, there are thousands of school children, maybe millions, little kids, singing a song about premarital sex and pagan idolatry and drug-induced hallucinations, talking snowmen, glistening vaginas, blue balls, and raw-dogging it by the fire. I've been afraid to even talk about this for years because they might stop the children from singing about this beautiful winter heathen wonderland. And to this I say, Merry Coffee to all, and to all a good night. Now, now that we all understand the song Winter Wonderland a little better, let's uh, get to our interview with Curtis. This is Curtis Cook. I'm recording this part of the podcast in December. In November 2019, Curtis was one of the headliners of the 2019 Cleveland Comedy Festival. He also did a panel on writing, because he was a writer for the Jim Jeffrey Show, and uh, he's also a successful touring headlining comedian. I was excited to interview Curtis, uh, not only because of his recent successes and different TV shows that he writes for, but Curtis and I um, started comedy at about the same time, about 10 years ago. Curtis is from Cleveland. That's where I'm based. You know, I was going around open mics trying to write jokes, be funny. Curtis was around, and uh, he was fucking funny, and he's a really nice guy. He would have these great uh, jokes. Uh, he's African-American. You know, he has some great jokes from that perspective. Smart, uh, subtle. And anyway, I was just like a, a fan. He moved out west. And I admit, I had like a, two thoughts. I was sad he moved out west because I just loved seeing him around and hearing his material. You know, very charismatic on stage and kind of soft-spoken when you talk to him. But I was very happy for him. I knew if he went out west or if he really sort of went for it, that he was the kind of talent who could succeed, and I'm happy for all of his successes. Uh, anyway, so Curtis was coming back to headline Cleveland Comedy Festival. I reached out to him and asked him if I could interview him for this podcast between his own take on um, using comedy to discuss uh, race or just to discuss his own experiences as an African-American as well as his experience writing for the Jim Jeffries show. I wanted to get his take on uh, satire. So um, 
I went out to see him. Uh, great set. He just killed it. Uh, full house for um, the show that I went to. And we sat down in the hallway and chatted for a few minutes. There's a little bit of background noise because we're in a public place. It's actually not that bad on a quiet spot. And we chatted for a few minutes. So here is my interview with Curtis Cook. Welcome to today's episode of the Comical Heathen. This is your host, Dr. Jerry Jaffe, and I am so excited to be here today. Young man that uh, we kind of started at about the same time in the Cleveland scene about 10 years ago, and now here he is in 2019, one of the headliners of the 2019 Cleveland Comedy Festival, Curtis Cook. Hello, hello. How you doing, Curtis? Are you for real a doctor? I am for real, like a PhD of type what? of doctor. Theater history. Hell shit. Seriously. That's awesome. Uh, for people... Listening to this in your place of work, there will be some adult language. Oh, sorry. This sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did my PhD from Bowling Green. I'm a full-time college professor. That's awesome. I teach acting. And I'm a pretty interesting person, but I'm more interested in you. Curtis, <laughs> you start a, a podcast transition. and have me be on your podcast. Well, <laughs> Fair you know, enough. The big circle jerk of all the podcasts in the world. Where we all take turns being on each other's podcasts. <laughs> what did we do before podcasts? So, you're in town uh, performing at the Cleveland Comedy Festival 2019. How's your week going? How's it been going? It's been fun. It's nice. I love coming back to Cleveland, seeing how the city's changed. Sure. Is it my family doing comedy? Sure. I was at your show last night, Friday night. Yeah, thanks for yeah. coming. No, it was well, lovely, lovely to meet your wife. She's very lovely. Yeah. Uh, 25 years of marriage, never once had an argument. Congratulations. <laughs> man. Well, she doesn't speak English, so it makes <laughs> Sorry, that's dumb joke, but... How, how did you feel about the shows last night? That's yeah, fun. It was fun? Yeah. Excellent. Good, good crowds? Seemed I, like a, I was at the first show. Seemed like a good crowd. The first show was a good crowd. The second show was a little bit drunker, so they were yeah. a little loose, which was fun. Yeah. As you do. As you do. <laughs> so when did you start doing comedy? Around the time you did. Actually. 2009, 2009? Yeah, 2000. Yeah, 2009, 2010. Wow. Yeah. When did I? 2010, I think. Right. So, so, yeah. Wow. Damn. Damn. Sure. I know, right? <laughs> There's like, like a while where like you're like three years in and you're like, I'm still doing it. And then yeah. you're ten years in and you're like, I'm still <laughs> doing this. It feels like when you first start, like you know every, like the first ten to twenty, you know everyone. Like that's the eighth time I ever performed. Yeah. Like, this joke. <laughs> and then somewhere, everyone is different, but around sixty or seventy, I lost count. Yeah, I yes. kept the tally, my the first like comedy notebook that I was yeah. like, here I am. I like tallied every place I ever. By the second one, I was like, fucking, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember? I know some of my friends do, uh, and I don't. Do you have? Do you know like your anniversary, like the date of the first time? I don't. I was I was a New Year's guy, so I know it was after. Was it sometime in January? Okay. Because I know that like. Open mics in the gym have that reputation for like as soon as New Year's hits, all these newbies come in, and I can't be mad because that was me. Sure, you were a newbie. You did comedy for some couple of few years, and then you moved out west. Yeah, Portland. Moved to Portland. Okay, what's the comedy scene like in Portland? It was pretty cool. A lot of the path I've gotten a chance to take in comedy has just been like through the luxury of knowing people, (laughs) (laughs) and not because of like Mm -hmm. like I had a buddy in Portland whose parents empty nesters and they were gonna let us crash okay and like their kids rooms as we got our, our feet on the ground okay. and if they hadn't done that i wouldn't sure. have been able to move for a couple of years sure it just happened that around that time comedy in portland was really happening right. and i was just <laughs> oh well look i know this guy who has parents right. and sure. i get to live there and, and then i just got lucky and the comedy was good yeah you say who you know but i 
I feel like it's and that's, there's more to it than just like there's. I wish that it was a who you know of like I had a lot of industry contacts, but it's like I just had a friend I knew who had parents who were down to let us stay. And it even yeah. So thank God for them. Thanks, Mark Graffs. <laughs> now you've um, been able to segue into some doing some writing work. Yeah, which was also just because my girlfriend got into school in L.A., <laughs> so we moved for her. Tie your raft to a better ship is the moral. Yeah, marry up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you always, uh, like in movies, there's always these uh, either entertainers or mobsters who have, like, their mall girlfriends, or yeah. ditzy blondes. I feel like that's what the comedians are. Like, the comedians are the ditzy blondes. <laughs> they identify someone. Yeah. That you know, sounds right. A lawyer or a professional <laughs> who will take us in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for real. So how long have you been based in L.A.? Uh, I think it's been maybe a little over three years. Okay. Yeah. What shows have four. you worked for? Uh, since I've been down there, I've had the chance to uh, work for the Jim Jeffries Show and the reboot of Crank Yankers. Okay. Oh, I want to hear about both of those. Let me ask about Crank Yankers. Who's doing the reboot? Like, who's behind it? Who's the genius behind it? I think it is Jonathan Kimmel. Okay. And Jimmy Kimmel. Okay. Um, right. And uh, Brian Polk is the head writer. Okay. So I think he's also in that echelon. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Have they started releasing an episode? Talk yeah, they've been yeah. releasing them. I think it's, uh, oh my gosh, I should be better on the plug with this, but I believe it's Wednesdays at 10.30 okay. Central. Well, I'll include a link in the description of this podcast. Hell yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so I want to mention that Tim Jeffries is a uh, sub one of the one of the comedians that I review in the book I'm supposedly writing. Okay. So I'm certainly curious in what it was like behind the scenes writing room actor. Like, how'd you get that job? I sent a packet in, okay. uh, and then I got a response that said like this, you know, wasn't the worst thing in the world. So okay. I submitted good. another packet. Yeah. So then I wrote another one, and then I got really, you know, in line with this train of luck that I have with moving for other people. <laughs> right around the time my girl was starting grad school, right? They wanted to schedule an interview, and it worked out you know i was definitely scared <laughs> but it went well enough where they, they right. were the the producer was very straightforward which i appreciate he was like well we like what you have but you don't have any experience and we can't afford to take a chance on someone like that for the pilot so they hired okay. people with experience and the show got picked up and then i came in for a follow-up interview and from that uh, i was fortunate enough okay. to get the job we're doing this interview in lovely Playhouse square it and is a really people walking by this is a beautiful building well, they've been re renovating the whole neighborhood Building oh. outside the big chandelier. The chandelier, oh. I remember. <laughs> I know, right? If you don't know the chandelier in Playhouse Square neighborhood, I'm going to put a photo of it in the description of this podcast. I like <laughs> this description is sounding baller right now. Well, you realize I'm writing an entire book. I got <laughs> to find some procrastinating time. Yeah, I got a filler. You know, something something for chapter four. <laughs> Give me to the end. So, I mean, Jim Jeffries, you know, is a very uh, sort of a brash, energetic. Opinionated, uh, known for his satire. He had a bit a few years ago on guns in America that went viral for one of his stand-up specials, yeah. and that kind of put him up a level in terms of like public attention. Mm -hmm. So I think he's sort of known for being controversial. I've watched some of the videos. You were sort of a correspondent on the show and did a couple of yeah, that was a fun like thing that. to do. Yeah. Was the writing room generally edgy? I mean, were you looking? I don't know. I think that, uh, you know, a lot of what we as the writing team were tasked with were working with the researchers to write a piece that, you know, to the best of our ability mm -hmm. in that position reflected, you know, the facts of the case surrounding the topic. Sure. Um, anything edgy um, or controversial, you know, every once in a while one of us would throw a joke in that kind mm -hmm. of told that line because we... We're familiar with Jim's voice, right? But I think uh, I think the general vibe was that it was kind of you know he would come up if he wanted to say something 
mm-hmm. shocking he would. Um, and we were certainly, we did our best to write for his tone. Okay. Um, but I don't know, I'm struggling with an answer that is both diplomatic in of course. my... And make it clear, you're not, <laughs> you know, you're not the token Jim Jeffries writer. So I'm not trying to no, get no. represent people who don't <laughs> represent. No, it doesn't seem like that. It's a, I'm just trying to get a sense of what the writing room was like. I feel like we didn't really like do writing with, for his voice. I feel like maybe something that people expected because of what you're right, his stand-up and everything were these controversial, edgy topics that we right. were going to be willing to ta- tackle. But for whatever reason, it ended up being that we would generally say thing everybody says. <laughs> like, right. piece about the death penalty was about how it's not good. So you're like, okay, well, that, I guess the edginess Which is, is that... ironically not that edgy. Yeah, so Jim swears a little bit more, and he yeah. definitely brings his brand of humor, which I, mm-hmm. you know, I you know, enjoy, but topics and, that we discussed mm-hmm. and the takeaway mm-hmm. for those topics were generally pretty mm-hmm. on brand with the general notion. Well, I'm a friend who used to write for Jay Leno's Tonight Show, and of course that was a different time, let alone a different comedian. You know, they did current events, but they just knew there were, like with Jay Leno's voice... There were certain jokes he wasn't going to do. Yeah. And there were certain jokes that he wasn't going to do a certain way. Like he might do a topic, but he wouldn't handle it a certain way. He handled it a Jay Leno way. Right, right, right. So I'm trying to like translate that to, to the Jim <laughs> Jeffries' voice and Jim Jeffries' way. Yeah, you know, I... Was there any topics he wouldn't talk about or that you weren't supposed to? Anything that was off the table? <laughs> we, we, at a certain point, we started trying to steer away from anything that would that might make him be perceived to be socially conscious. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> like if it's about feminism or if it's about like race, we generally don't want to talk about it. Uh, okay. If it's about how American chocolate is worse than European chocolate, we'll dive right in. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. The show's canceled, so sure, <laughs> who, knows, sure. who knows why? But I, I definitely think people, people wanted what you are saying. Right. And uh, I do think that there were times where we were able to give that to them. But I right. think just by nature of what kind of a show it was right. and by nature of the kind of climate yep. surrounding the show at mm-hmm. at this time mm-hmm. it just didn't always happen to be fair to you and jim jeffries let's talk about yeah. you <laughs> um i enjoyed your set last night thanks man. i mean i think your twitter voice as well as a uh, comedy that i see anyway has satire in it do oh you, do you feel like you do satire is that uh some you do I don't actually, and I don't want to sound like I'm fishing for for compliments, but I would love to know what it is about it that makes you say that, because I would never have perceived that of myself. Sure, sure. Well, in last night's show, you, know, you talked about feminism. Ooh, talked I about loved it. White supremacy. <laughs> you do something which I think you do very well. So, for what it's worth, also not brown nosing. I'm just trying to describe what I saw, so you can tell me how you got there. Sure. You take a topic and try to like put yourself into the shoes and then you're still you so it goes a different way than is expected okay so yeah. you said uh, now if i get a joke wrong then i apologize to you and to the universe <laughs> but you said something like you know you're a feminist and that the women should be treated with respect and not treated a certain way but as a man it's kind of your dream that people would treat you that way <laughs> right? so you put yourself in the position but then it's you not them so it comes out with like a you know, a hysterically, humorously absurd <laughs> juxtaposition. But yeah, I get a... Does yeah, that make sense? It like, does. It does. I guess I... Yeah, it does. Because you did the same thing with your trip to Africa routine. Oh, that's a... I like... That was a nice trip. <laughs> well, it was a nice... It sounds like it was a nice trip, but it was a nice routine as well, because you, in the setup to the story, it's 
as African American, you wanted to go to Africa. Mm-hmm. But when you got there, as a light-skinned African American, you were treated like a white person. <laughs> so again, you like put yourself in the position. Yeah. But then it was like the contrast of not being the thing you were in the position of led to <laughs> hilarious consequences. <laughs> Here you're, you're doing, you're, you're not inaccurate. So this is not a <laughs> negative reflection on you. But hearing your joke explained back to you makes me feel so horrible. <laughs> oh, well, I apologize. No, no, no. It's a, you have nothing to apologize for. It's just like, oh, man, that is that joke. <laughs> It just makes it Well, of feel course, weird. because when you explain a joke, it's no longer funny. <laughs> and this is what academics do is explain jokes. So that's my whole job on display right here. Uh, Which I, also I, means my whole job is to make people feel bad. So, oh, uh, I'm looking forward to reading your book. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I guess I, there's a thing that's been, I think, popular uh, recently. I think it's, it's existed previously in mm-hmm. the history of comedy. But uh, it, it seems like more now than I remember... Okay. As a kid, there was this like there's a sense of authority to people's voices, where like the joke is like, "This is this," and it's like this. Right. That doesn't. Yeah, and you're just like, okay, but you don't know what you're talking about, and then that becomes frustrating. And I've gotten really tired of comics being like, "The thing about democracy," and then you're like, "I don't believe you've ever read a book about this <laughs> to be the person who tells me." And so I wanted to still have those the thesis statements that I think exist behind a lot of jokes but not present it like I was an authority just like I was also someone along for the ride right yeah and that's where the, all that stuff came from well the storytelling and the point of view and the character it all works very well thanks man I, I once had a booker tell me I saved this email if you'd like to see it I would love to I don't even know what it is <laughs> but the look in your eyes I'm gonna put it on the description <laughs> that uh, uh, I definitely bombed it's one of the worst shows I've, I've done uh, I, I was a bomb and uh, I got an email from the booker the next day. Uh, Jerry, it's not your job to be interesting. It's your job to make people laugh. Damn. <laughs> Who was this person? Well, I won't say that. Are they still booking things? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, whoever they are, I would also love to work for you. <laughs> Every time I come back to Ohio, it's interesting because, like, and I appreciate the eye-openingness of it, but mm. it's you, this is a place where I can feel the swing state this sure like a lot of places like that's like a liberal city you go you do your jokes they are either for or against it based on that general belief you go right a lot of conservative cities you go generally the people coming out to the comedy shows are maybe they feel isolated Mm -hmm. and you kind of still get to say whatever and go for it and then you come to a place like ohio and it is very much you can feel the audience be full of people who could go either way and it it does it is a fun challenge to try to bridge that gap Mm -hmm. and i think in that sense like comedy in Mm -hmm. ohio is like yeah i want to do this interesting thing but like I can't quite do it because I'm going to make so many people upset, but other people are going to be happy. Right. There's no way to win. Unlike my bad example when I bombed, you were getting a lot of laughs. So oh, you thanks. were able to talk about at least those issues, at least to some extent, feminism, guns, you know, your experience as an African-American man. But also people had a good time and laughed. And, I hope so, man. You know. Now, you did deal with sort of social issues in your Curtis Cook kind of way. The book I'm writing is about religious satire primarily. Okay. Is that ever a topic that you um, didn't come up last night? Is that a topic you ever tackle or think about? It's something I think about, and I have... There's one thing now I've been fiddling with about my grandma and, and her mm-hmm. passing and just kind of sure. that made me reflect on her mm-hmm. her religiousness. Religiousness? Sure. Faith? Yeah. Faith. And 
I don't. This eh, it's probably fine to generalize Europeans. I feel like Europeans, <laughs> I can take it. to an extent, anyone, but not like white people. Like <laughs> people actual like Europeans, actual Europeans, and anyone in the Commonwealth. Like, and uh-huh. I, I, it's not like they have the greatest knowledge mm-hmm. of their comedy, but it seems like it, I always got the impression that religion was a huge fucking deal anywhere where there's a queen because they just won't shut the fuck up about it. And, like, <laughs> every British comic is like, can you believe that there's a fucking god? And you're like, how important yeah. could this be to you that you're a 40-year-old man screaming about atheism? Like, right. <laughs> how how daunting is this in your life? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've spoken to some people from those countries, and they're like, no, we get the feeling like Christianity is way bigger over here because we actually have, like, religious terrorists and stuff. That's valid, but, like, I guess I just let it, just growing up with, like, Mm-hmm. the comedy that I was able to see it's like why would I who, who needs to be like what else can you add to the conversation at this point and right. I do that, not to discredit no, no, no. the book I'm excited to Absolutely read it and not. I do think that there's value to religious satire but like I think you mm-hmm. have got to be adding to the conversation if you're just another person screaming God isn't real then it's like great <laughs> congrats man you discovered science <laughs> but I don't know you just did a uh, writer's industry panel giving some advice Younger or less experienced comedians come to you for advice, especially in a festival situation like this. It's weird, man, to be the older guy now. Yes. Um, is this just what it's going to be from now on? Eventually, you will actually be the older guy, too. Oh, God. Like, the weird part to me is that you're younger than most of the people asking you <laughs> questions today. On either social issues or satire, what kind of advice would you give a young comic? How do you do it well? You know, I think, I've been thinking in the back of my mind about the, the things you brought up about Jim and his comedy and... Right. and the, the answers I just felt I wasn't able to give you about the show, but I, I do think that his stand-up is a, a good example of, in, in some ways, what to aspire to do with that stuff. Like okay. Because, you know, what we were saying about the show is like, so if the death penalty is bad, mm-hmm. and if John Oliver said the death penalty was bad, and John Stewart said the death penalty is bad, and Trevor Noah said the death penalty is bad, then why the fuck do we need a f- fourth show <laughs> saying that the death penalty right. is bad? If you want to bring up intricacies of the topic or if you want to mm-hmm. uh, do a deeper dives to explore you know certain alcoves of thought that exists right. surrounding something then that's super cool and if you can bring a new perspective to the table that's super cool but I think that a, a simple mistake that I've definitely made in the past right. and that I do see people make is like they say okay well abortion is a big thing mm-hmm. so I'm going to do my abortion joke and it's like okay nobody's saying that you can't right. or shouldn't do an abortion joke but what are you bringing to the table that I couldn't just YouTube and see 30 other people say? Sure. And I think that that's, uh, you know, there's only so many, what's that fucking Bible quote from thousands of years ago? There's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> so, like, there's only so many topics, but, like, make right. it so that I remember what you had to say about it. Similar to what you're saying, and just give me your reaction to this, is sometimes I'm around open mics or just less experienced comedians. They'll do their abortion joke or their atheism joke or their whatever joke. It's yeah. almost any joke. But the joke itself isn't very good. And so then no one laughs. And then the person becomes defensive. Oh, because they think they're, they're too edgy. Yeah. So they're like, oh, can't handle an abortion joke, eh? Yeah. And it's, it's uh, you know, best case scenario is you would open mic to learn from the feedback loop. Yeah. Of what people are laughing at or how to improve your jokes. So, which is just, I guess, another way of just saying it still has to be funny. So like, it's not funny. enough to just be complaining about abortion. You can actually have a joke that makes people laugh about abortion. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Definitely, it, Yeah, it definitely has to be funny. I also think that there's, you know, I don't know about you, but I know I definitely made the mistake of, like, being like, okay, well, I've been watching comedy for 20 years, so I've got 
my checkbox of all the topics really good comics talk about. And so I should probably, as someone who's just starting, talk about those things. And you realize that, like, first, you have nothing to say about it because right. you're not approaching it from the right angle. Mm-hmm. And second, you know, those people have built up goodwill. <laughs> yes. You're just a guy. Uh, yep. um, and I think also, like, you know, and this is another mistake that I think I made is, like, it is super important to do stand up as much as possible I mm-hmm. think especially when you're starting out but like also listen and watch it as much as possible yeah. so you can take yeah. the hint that like oh maybe I shouldn't tell a Tinder joke when everybody's doing Tinder jokes right yep I've heard more than one over the past week <sighs> yeah and some there's every once in a while someone will have one and I'm like that was the one yeah. I was waiting for yeah. but it's few and far between <laughs> also I've you know I've been out you've been with your wife for 26 years yep. been with my and for seven, so I, you know, I guess to be fair, part of it's just that I don't get dating jokes anymore. <laughs> All right, say, Curtis, just so before we wrap up here in a minute, I'd like to just ask, is there anything about satire or religious satire or comedy that you would just like to say that we didn't get to? <laughs> Sum it all up for us, Curtis. I th- I'm, a super, I'm, I'm very interested to see your book because, at least from the perspective that I've been granted in life, it seems like religion is not as big a thing as it had been in the past. And right. to see the evolution of religious satire would be endlessly compelling for me. <laughs> I guess that now, at least for me as someone who doesn't have you know, a religious authority reigning over their life, <laughs> it feels like people are kind of fighting. Like of all the fights in the world, this is the one you're still going for? <laughs> <laughs> but, but I am curious to see how it's mm-hmm. evolved and, and what it means for uh, religious satire to be less necessary right with more and more people being atheist what does it mean to be someone who makes comments on the church right and is it redundant or is it all the more powerful because you've invested more into it so i'm super curious to see your research man let me let me, let me pop one more question at you yeah it's too much out of left field just feel free to say so no i think that some comedians um bill maher's the most obvious but it doesn't have to just be about bill maher took up doing more religious satire after september 11th and the kind oh. of pushback he seemed kind of... But again, I, yeah. he's, a, a, he's like the clearest example, but he's not the only example, so it's we don't a, have to pile on him. It's a, He was somebody... Well, mm-hmm. or, you're right. Let me, let me vague it up. Sure. Well, say whatever you want. I don't care. Yeah, comics, uh, there was... <laughs> this book destroys Bill Everyone's just like, who and who? <laughs> I think that... Uh, I think that sometimes... Mm-hmm. After 9-11, something got a little murky, mm-hmm. where the religious satire almost seemed to become an excuse to be racist. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's like, oh, I'm parodying a belief of God, but only for this one group of people right. who believe in this specific God. To Bill Maher's credit, I, I know that he has a reputation for always kind of taking down yeah. people who are... He's an equal opportunity religious. offender. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess after 9-11, the equal opportunity started to slant <laughs> a little bit in one direction. And I think when I when I saw that in people, it was a little disappointing. Because I do think, like, there's something valid about, like, all right, yeah, from my perspective, it seems a little weird that you put this much of your trust in, like, a guy who says he talks to God. But if I'm going to feel that way, I, like, you, I feel like... I feel like with some people it's different right. because they they have, if you go through their work, you see that they've angled on everybody. Right. And for some people, I think they say I'm an equal opportunity offender when really they spend 40 minutes talking about one group and yeah. 10 on the other. Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. I, I can certainly remember being in comedy clubs around Ohio and seeing headliners who would just do many, many minutes 
of calling it Islamophobia would be too kind. Because that word <laughs> is too many syllables compared to the yeah. crowd they were pitching to. It was just ugly. Yeah. Calling it comedy. I was too... I was coming of age during 9-11, so I yeah. didn't have a lot of opportunity to go to comedy clubs, and I'm right. kind of glad. Because right. I just don't imagine it being very nice. <laughs> like, things were so... Like, obviously, yeah. there were so many uh, worse things right. about what was happening. Of course. Uh, like, the worst thing yeah. about 9-11 was not the comedy was the scene. Comedy scene. <laughs> but, yeah. but I just don't imagine it being nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what is nice. The Curtis Cook... <laughs> Curtis, I couldn't even say that with a straight face. Although it's true, people, the Curtis Cook comedy scene is nice. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> well, like a real pro right there. Just angle shot, you know. <laughs> well, Curtis, thank you very much. Hey, I really thank you. I really appreciate thoughts. you having me on, man. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Curtis, thank you so much for um, joining my podcast. I really uh, love talking to you. You know, I listen back on it myself. It's a little embarrassing. I'm like explaining his jokes back to him. That's kind of dorky. But I am a comedy nerd, so that's going to happen sometimes. Uh, I loved hearing from him. I loved his perspective. I love his sense of humor. Thank you, Curtis, for being on my podcast. And as I uh, creep towards an ending, let me throw out a few more thank yous. Thank you, Mark Bell. He's the organist playing that lovely Bach organ music uh, that we use in our podcast. Thank my friend Jeff Geddert. He gives me audio engineering advice. Any successes I have editing this podcast or producing this podcast, it's thanks to his support. Any deficiencies is due to my own deficiencies. Uh, Jeff also provides some additional written material and editing and helps me out with his podcast a lot. Thank you, Jeff. And hey, I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. If you made it all the way to the end, I know, atheismo, bless you. That's the one true God, atheismo. And um, hey, you know, I want to connect with you. We're on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, wherever you get your podcast. Rate us five stars, thumbs up, leave comments. And, you know, this is all based on uh, my research for a book I'm writing, so I really do want to share. I have a passion, so, you know, share this with your friends. And if you're a Curtis Cook fan, thank you for listening. And, you know, we have some other episodes. Go check them out. Other uh, comedians, other rants, other topics, all that good stuff. Anyway, uh, if you want to email me, uh, it's comicalheathen at gmail.com. Uh, any feedback, any comments. And also, if you come across a newspaper, magazine, or website that has an interesting, unusual, or ridiculous article about religion, send it to me. You know, let's crowdsource this a little bit. Find me some stuff to rant about, people. All right. Well, I've been your host. I'm Dr. Jerry Joffe. Thank you for listening. <laughs>